This is the Mutual Audio Network. Hey, it's Tony Serechia from the Harry Strange Radio Drama. Congratulations going out to Jack and David for 10 years of the Sonic Society. We appreciate everything you guys do, and here's to another 10 years. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. shorted out. Only good for toasting marshmallows. Here's a portal. I didn't know the tortoise had one. Not that I should be surprised. Oh. The tortoise has every... Home? Narada Radio Company. This is where it all began. Where I was taken. And we're back? Yes. Why? The suit. Being back in home space. It's regenerating. Rerouting the power. What's it saying? Blood has sticky fingers. That's one of my favorite shows. That's episode 11 of Pulpery Theater, written originally by John Bard. I haven't missed it. Taken from the pages of magazines your grandfather used to hide from your grandmother, this is Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company.
This is a tale of espionage, of spies and spycraft, of secret documents, and how men and women in the employ of their government go about stealing them. Our tale, Blood Has Sticky Fingers, is based on a story by John Bard, which appeared in the September 1936 issue of Spicy Adventure Stories. And believe me, this is one spicy adventure. You may want to send the children out of the room and get yourself a tall glass of ice water. <sighs> All joking aside, this program contains adult language, sexual situations, and graphic descriptions of violence, so listener discretion is advised. We tell you this calmly and sincerely, so if you frighten or get offended easily, please turn off this program now. If you've been with us for our earlier episodes of Polpuri Theater, you'll know that we have been bringing you a wide variety of stories for your listening pleasure. So far, we've run the pulp gamut from science fiction to romance. Our director and producer, Mr. Pete Lutz, tells me that the category of war stories is the only one remaining, so our final episode will be devoted thereto, and then, eventually, we'll start all over again. But our tale for tonight is one of espionage, and we'll begin right after this brief word. You're listening to Pulpuri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Hello, everybody. This is Stan Hope Studge, Phil Boyd's brother, and one of the members of the Narada Radio Company here to introduce our newest sponsor, Starched Wheat. Starched Wheat, made by Irresponsible Mills of Oakville, Tennessee, is sure to be a favorite on kitchen tables all over the United States. And just what is Starched Wheat? Well, friends, Starched Wheat is attractive little pillows of whole grain wheat coated with a sweet, sparkly layer of pure cornstarch. And what makes Starched Wheat special for kitties? What's going to make them say, Mommy, I want starch wheat! Get me starch wheat! Starch wheat! Well, it's the wonderful noise it makes when you pour on the milk. No, friends, starched wheat doesn't snap, pop, crackle, or tinkle. It goes like this. Oh. No other cereal can make this statement. And isn't that a good thing, friends? After all, who wants cereal that can make statements? So remember that starched wheat, the only cereal that gives you a full serving of grain, and a full serving of starch in every bowlful, and the only cereal that goes like this. Oh. Starch wheat, ba-ba-da-up, the groaning cereal, ba-ba-ba-bump. Starch wheat! Paperback Well, friends, that music means it's time to introduce a new feature on Pulpery Theater, the Bix Bixby Book Review. Bix and his Bixby art players will dramatize a familiar bestseller, and it's sure to be enjoyable. Bix, welcome to the show. And what book have you selected to review for us today? Thanks. It's good to be here to do one of our Bix Bixby book reviews for you. And today's dramatization is a scene from Tom Clancy's novel, The Hunt for Red October. That's a good one, Bix. Not only was that book a major bestseller that put Tom Clancy on the map, it was also a hugely popular hit movie with Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin. 
I see your players are standing by, so tell us, what scene from that book have you selected? This one takes place in the saloon of the old mining town. It's very exciting, and probably the best scene in the book. Well, I don't remember a saloon being in The Hunt for Red October, but it's been a few years since I read it, so maybe I've just forgotten. Anyway, why don't you get started? Okay, here we go with The Hunt for Red October. Morning, Sheriff. Howdy, Deputy. What's the news on the escaped prisoner? I'm sorry to tell you, Sheriff, that the posse lost the trail of the prisoner. You no good. Ugh, easy there, Sheriff. It ain't my fault. You mind who you're talking to, Deputy? I'm the Sheriff of this here mining camp, ain't I? Why, sure, Sheriff. Ain't nobody arguing with that. Alrighty then. Uh, now, how did the posse lose the trail of the escaped prisoner? Well, they figure when it got dark last night, they must have rode right past him. And at first light this morning, they couldn't see his trail no more. You no good. Whoa, Sheriff, take it easy. I won't brook no disrespect, Deputy. Now, what's your new plan of action for the posse, if and you don't mind me asking? I'm gonna have them backtrack and see if they can find any trace of the prisoner, and You no good. Ow! Sheriff, why? All right, all right, hold it. Stop. I don't know what book that scene came from, but it was definitely not The Hunt for Red October. Where are the submarines? Where are the Russians? <laughs> what? Of course it was. It was right in the middle of the book. Wasn't that exciting? Why, it gave me goosebumps. Didn't it give you goosebumps? Well, it, it, it gave me something. And I can see by the clock in the wall that that's all the time we have for the Bix Bixby book review. So, until next time, if there is a next time, we say so long to the Bix Bixby art players. Welcome back to Bulbury Theatre, and tonight's tale of espionage, Blood Has Sticky Fingers, based on a story by John Bard. Our storyteller for tonight is Sangre Brown. He's an agent in the employee of the United States, but remember, these events are set in the late 1930s, long before the CIA was created. Sangre is Spanish, as you may know, for blood, and while it is not the name his mother gave him, you may be sure he earned it the hard way. We meet up with Sangre on the west coast of Mexico, not far from Acapulco, where he is waiting to meet a fellow agent.
From a point on the road above Piedra La Cuesta, Pepito and I look searchingly down on the strangest coastline in the world. For 80 kilometers joined by a canal, Lake Coyoca and Lake San Jeronimo extend their expanse of silver water parallel with the ocean. At no point are the sweet waters of these lakes more than four kilometers from the salty Pacific, and just below me at Todd's Port on the end of Lake Coyoca, the lake and the ocean are separated only by a narrow strip of sandy beach. All I can hear is the thunder of the crashing waves. All I can see, which isn't much, is bathed in the splendid light of the full moon. I look for some movement that will indicate the presence of number 29. Nothing. Was the note he sent a trap? With a growing feeling of uneasiness, I make out the faint outline of what seems to be a fishing smack, far out on the moon-drenched Pacific. The port and starboard running lights are burning, red and green, red and green. Puzzled, I look at them for a moment. There's something peculiar here. Red and green, red and green. Green and red, that's it. They are reversed. Reversed. But it can't be old Hardhead. He's still on his shell up at Border HQ. It can't be him on the frail little fishing smack. But reversed. That's his key word. He always says, when you ever find anything reversed, look for me. What is it, Pepito? Do you see something? Sense something? What's down there on the beach? No, it's not the beach. It's the breakers. There's someone down there. A swimmer. He's struggling against the undertow. <sighs> the damn fool. He should know better than to go swimming there. <whistles> okay, let's go down there, Pepito. Oh, good boy, Pepito. I leap from the saddle, and I'm waist-deep in the swirling water before I manage to grip my fingers in the dark hair of the head that's being swept out once more by the powerful undertow. I pull the slight figure up and into my arms and struggle through the undertow to the beach. My feet feel like the lead weights of a diver's suit. And then... The next breaker rolls me over, and the two of us roll up the hard-packed beach like a couple of interlocked tumbleweeds. No, you don't. Come back here, you. Got your foot, at least. Now, come up on the beach. Now, let's see who you are, troublemaker. What? It's a woman. She is stark naked except for some kind of silken lace thing, and it clings to her exceptional curves as if painted on. I take a moment to feast my eyes, because it's obvious she's breathing. Her flat stomach pulses and flutters with each breath. Two perfect round breasts rise and fall seductively, painted as stark white by the bright moonlight. Resting in the deep cleavage is an oblong metal tube, about ten inches long on a silver chain. I drop the foot I am holding and kneel beside her, brushing back the short boyish hair. What? It's Petra. Petra! You little fool, wake up! What were you thinking? Sangre Brown! It is you! I thought I could swim! You're a good swimmer, Petra, but nobody could fight the undertow at this point. 
You shouldn't have been swimming out here alone. Petra lifts her arms and locks her hands behind my neck, drawing her face close to mine. Her breath is sweet and warm on my face as she says, Thanks for saving my life, sangre. Don't mention it. I needed a bath anyway. Petra pouts her lips out a little so I can see the soft, velvet wetness of the inner surfaces. I'm terribly worn out, sangre. If you tried to kiss me, I could not resist. The natural cinnamon perfume of her body wafts up to my nostrils, making them tingle. Petra, if I kissed you now, I couldn't resist. Oh, sangre, then do not resist. Mm. With a quick tug, she pulls my head down. Her hot, wet lips fasten over mine. A sort of moon blindness blurs my eyes. I struggle to my feet, but she comes up with me without releasing her hold. I feel the pressure of her breast against my chest, and a sharp, jagged thrill gnaws along my spine. I pull her closer to me, and she grinds her pelvis against me. Ow! You are hurting me! It's not me. It's that gadget you've got around your neck. It's gouging me, too. Oh, here! Take it quick, Sangre. It is for you. I swam in with it from the boat. Number 29 could not meet you. They got him this afternoon after he sent you the note. Why didn't you tell me right away? I grab the waterproof metal tube and unscrew the end. Into my hand drops a small oblong pasteboard box wrapped in a piece of white paper. I unwrap the paper. On the box it says, specific for number 57, which is my number. On the paper it says, in code, Yellow Bulldog Lying Off. Watch for flying fish. Dog meat arrives pie twelve and half. Get wrapping paper. Let mercury lamb. And it was signed, Reverse. Mentally I translated. Yellow Bulldog. That's the Oriental warship lying off the coast. Watch for flying fish. Hydroplane. Dog meat. That's whatever the ship is waiting for. Arrives pie. That's Piedra la Cuesta. And half past twelve. Get wrapping paper meant get the papers from the agent. And let Mercury Lamb was let the messenger go through. So, a hydroplane is launching from this ship out there and will arrive here at 12.30. I'm to get the paper somehow but not harm the messenger nor let him know that I got them from him so he can continue on his way. Okay, well, I've had less confusing assignments. What time is it? Ah, oh, damn it. Salt water got into my watch. Stopped at 11.35. I grabbed Petra by the arm and rushed her toward Pepito. <gasps> Ow! Not so rough, Sangre! Ow! You little so-and-so. Here, hop up. If we're late, old hardhead will court-martial us both. Wait, listen. I hear nothing, Sangre. Nothing but the ocean. Oh, what is Pepito looking up at? It looks like a big silver bird. I see it. That's no bird. Get your head down. It's the hydroplane from the warship. It must have cut engines. It's disappeared now. Gone below that dense growth of mangroves along the edge of the lake. I hear the pontoon splash against the smooth waters of Lake Coyoca. The 
The pilot of that plane will be waiting for the messenger. I vault into the saddle, praying that the pilot hasn't seen us. Hang on, half pint. Where are we going, Sangre? Up to the road that leads to Acapulco. We've got to make the tunnel before the messenger arrives. We're at the top of the grade when I guide Pepito around the winding carretera toward the tunnel. We're going at full gallop as we pass the wave-lashed rocky inlet that's known as the Devil's Frontonia. Petra's voice surprises me suddenly after so long a silence. She's up close to my ear, and her breath is hot. She's been holding so tight to my back to keep from falling off, and it's been pretty distracting to feel her soft, lithe body pressing into my back. Are you going to use what's in the box? How the hell do I know? I don't know what's in the box. I only know it was marked with my number. The tunnel's up ahead, two turns away. Old Hardhead said you would know how to use them. He said you have used them once before. He's crazy. I've never used but one thing he sent me. Say, wait a minute. Did he tell you what's in the box? See? Calipeptic bombas. I was almost afraid to dive off the boat for fear they would explode and blow me to bits. <laughs> Cataleptic bombs, half pint. They're not the kind that'll blow you to bits. They're designed to paralyze whoever you throw them at. Get me? Whoa, Pepito. Listen, Gatita. I've got a hunch this guy we're waiting for won't stop when we ask him to. He'll be in a car with headlights too bright for good shooting. We haven't got time to cut down a tree, and there aren't any loose boulders big enough to stop him. But wait! I, I want to get down! Uh, uh. But you think he would stop of his own accord? Yes! If he saw a senorita with hardly anything on, lying in the middle of the road. Exactly. Any man would. And coming through that tunnel, he'll be going so slowly that... He is not likely to run over me. All right. If you want to take a chance on losing me, I guess I can take a chance too. Is this a good spot? Without another word, she lies down, catacornered in the moonlit road just outside the mouth of the tunnel. Unselfconscious and unashamed of her beauty, she makes my breath catch as I stand there for an extra admiring moment. My mouth is dry. Sweetheart, you've got guts. Pepito, come with me. We've got to get out of sight, boy. You're listening to Pulpery Theater and the Narada Radio Company's presentation of John Bard's story, Blood Has Sticky Fingers. We'll be back with Act Two of our play in just a moment. As a special feature of Pulpery Theater, we have sent our intrepid reporter, Phil Boyd Studge, out to Ralston, Purina, North Carolina, to interview another person with a very strange yet real occupation. We'll let Phil Boyd tell you all about it. So, from Ralston, Purina, North Carolina, take it away, Phil Boyd Studge! Phil Boyd Studge here, speaking to you from the Big Wolf Pet Food Company in Ralston, Purina, North Carolina, to interview yet another person with a very strange yet real occupation. 
Hamish Bogweiler is a dog food tester here at the factory. Mr. Bogweiler, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to speak to our Pulpery Theater listeners. Hi! Folks, the factory here is simply a kennel of activity. And Hamish, I hope you don't mind if I call you Hamish. Hamish, how did you happen to get into this unusual occupation of testing dog food? Well, uh, about ten years ago, I, I worked on a line at a different dog food company. I saw the stuff that went into the cans and thought, well, I wouldn't want to put that stuff in my mouth, so why would I ask a dog to do it? And that's how you ended up here? Yeah, 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 yeah. I came here and started testing the food and do my best to make it as enjoyable for the dogs as possible. And you've been working here ten years, you say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I sample everything from the kibble to the chewy bones to the canned meat products. Hamish, this is fascinating. So you're telling me that you eat dog food every day? Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you feel that this daily consumption of pet food is affecting you in any way? I don't know what you're talking about. Easy there, big guy. Sorry. That's okay, that's okay. You're a good boy. So, uh, um, Hamish, can you tell us what's on the menu today? Liver, bacon, 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 liver, liver, bacon. And is that canned or dry food? It's canned. Uh, Funny thing, uh, back before I started this job, I couldn't stand even the thought of eating liver, but now I can't get enough of it. Liver, 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 liver. I'm afraid I don't quite share your enthusiasm for the stuff, Hamish, but I guess that leaves more liver for you, right? Right? Isn't that right, boy, huh? Hamish, I have just one more question for you, and then I'll let you get back to work. After a decade on the job, can you look me in the eye and say that this product is good enough for my dog? Yep, yep, it's great for dogs. Yep, great for dogs. Yep, 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 great for dogs. That's all I wanted to know. Folks, we've been talking with Hamish Bogmeiler, dog food tester at the Big Wolf Pet Food Company. From Ralston, Purina, North Carolina, I'm Phil Boyd Studge, sending it back to the studio. <laughs> Hamish, I'd like to shake your paw. Good boy! Good boy! <laughs> Let's return to northwestern Mexico, where American spy Sangre Brown is waiting for a foreign spy to come along with some secret documents. When we left him before the break, his friend, the beautiful Mexican girl Petra, had reluctantly agreed to be the bait to catch this fish. Sangre leads his horse Pepito into hiding while they wait for the car to come out of the tunnel. Let's see what's in the box. Three colorless glass pellets. Yes, I remember them now. Old Hardhead uses them only as a last resort because he values a formula too highly. His usual instructions are, if you don't use them, destroy them. In an enemy's hands, they are your death and disgrace. Okay, babies. Into my coat pocket you go for easy access. And now, 
Let's see if the salt water hasn't gummed up my rod. Uh-huh. That didn't take long. I hope our boys paying attention. I hate to be where Petra is right now. Whew. He didn't leave much breathing room. The half pint's acting like she's out cold. What a trooper. He's going up to her, bending over to see what's wrong. Okay, now. Take careful aim and... <clears throat> a puff of pale smoke rises from the broken glass pellet, enveloping the man's head. He freezes in his bent-over position, completely paralyzed. Unfortunately, Petra was in range as well. But she'll be okay once the effect wears off. Each of these little cataleptic bombs is designed to be strong enough to produce immediate temporary catalepsy for a period of five minutes on any living thing within three feet of its explosion. The mind of the paralyzed subject records nothing that passes during that time and resumes activity at the point on which it ceased. I wait a precious moment to be sure that no one else is keeping watch in the car, then step forward and slip my hand into the man's inside coat pocket. I find a brown envelope and examine its contents in the wash of the headlights. Nothing of any importance there. So I return the envelope to the pocket and take out a large black leather wallet. Some more interesting stuff in there, like numerous bills of large denominations, a passport with a fuzzy picture, and a pink car with strange characters on it. Still, not exactly what I'm looking for. I start to find a rising feeling of panic as I head to the car. If I have to search the vehicle for those papers... It may well turn out to be a mess, and a bloody one at that. Just to be sure, I drop one more glass pellet at the feet of the messenger, then step over to the driver's door. I could jump for joy. On the passenger side of the front seat is a leather briefcase with a zipper top. Ah, just the one folder in here. Let's take a look over in the headlights. Nope. 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 Yes! The document I find is on official white paper, bearing the governmental seal in red ink. I am amazed at the signatures at the bottom, but the contents of the document caused me to gasp at the magnitude of the transaction and the colossal cheek of the nations involved. I read the long row of figures twice to convince myself. 100 million pesos in silver in full payment for the peninsular state bounded on the south and east by the Gulf of Baja, California, on the west by the Pacific Ocean, on the north by the state of California of the United States of America, including full and exclusive dominion over Magdalena Bay. <whistles> to what lengths a nation will go to obtain good harbors? Magdalena Bay, the finest harbor on North America's west coast, big enough to house an entire fleet in safety. No wonder old Hardhead came down to supervise this thing himself. I returned to the car and replaced the other documents in the case, then slipped back into hiding while I wait for the catalepsy to wear off. At almost the same instant, Petra and the messenger regained consciousness. Señorita, ¿está bien? Estoy tan feliz que dejé el coche en el tiempo. ¿Estás herida, señorita? ¿Dónde está tu ropa? Déjame ayudarte. No es nada, señor. Estoy bien. 
The messenger speaks of Petra in some sort of sing-song Spanish that's hard to make out. But from Petra's response, I'm guessing he's expressing concern and happiness that it didn't run her over. As he reaches out his hand to help her up, I reach my hand into the holster for my rod, then emerge from the brush. I bark at him in Spanish that this is a stick-up and he should keep his hands away from his pockets. Esto es un atraco. Mantega las manos donde pueda verlas. Eso es mejor. Moonlight strikes the messenger's face, and instead of the Indian look that I'm expecting, I'm seeing the broad, flat nose and almond eyes of an Oriental. I remember the strange black characters printed on the pink card, and I tell him to toss me his wallet. Si, señor. It's with obvious relief that he assumes I'm merely a highwayman out for his money, and he hands me the wallet with all the bills. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Petra step into the protection of the shadows as I make a pretense of counting the money. Quítate! Get lost! Vámonos! Si, señor! As I'm rolling up the purloined document and sliding it into the tube that Petra brought the bombs in, the movement from the tunnel stops me. I look up, and from the shadows I see Petra emerge, slowly, swaying as if to some unheard romantic Latin music. The moonlight hits her subtly, and the silver tones bathe her brown skin and illuminate her curves as she undulates towards me. She's just walking. That's the way she always walks. But the girl can't help it. Stopping about three inches away from me, she looks up at me and the moonlight catches her dark brown eyes, turning them to gold. Her soft, full lips are parted, and her breathing deep, causing her lovely bosom to rise and fall enticingly. But there is work to be done. Don't be so hasty to wish me success in flowers, Petra. Wait till that messenger hands that briefcase over to the pilot of that seaplane. That yellow devil will come roaring back for blood. No, he will not. I opened the petcock valve on the gas tank. Petra, you're a genius, darling. Come over here. Mmm. I love the way your eyes sparkle in the moonlight. That is not me, cariño. It is old hardhead. Old what? Ah, yes, it's the riding light. He's signaling us from the fishing boat. Well, business before pleasure, kitten. We're not out of the rough by a long shot. Listen! I take a small, flat piece of cut crystal out of my vest pocket, hold it up to the moonlight, and pass it back and forth swiftly. The boat's riding light stops winking, and then her port and starboard lights flash on and I can see the boat start to move forward. Here, Half-Pint, take this tube back to old Hardhead. Okay, I clip it to the chain, so... Oh, Sangre, the plane is coming closer. Okay, when the old Hardhead sails as close to the rocks as he can come, that green running light will go out. Then you'll have to swim for it again. Take the first hog back beyond the tunnel. It has a sloping point, and you can take off without breaking your neck. Either thing, here they come. Let's go, Pepito. She's in the tunnel now. Look out, boy. It's diving. That was too close. The tunnel mouth has collapsed. Easy, Pepito. Steady, big fella. God, I hope that I made it through. Let's go, Pepito. Here it comes again.
for that carretera behind the boulder. Don't worry. If Petra made it through the tunnel, she's safe. It's obvious they're after us, not her. Uh-oh. The plane's banking for another attack. Take that, you yellow devil! getting better. We took out the road in front of us. Steady, people. Keep all four feet on the ground, fella. Up ahead and make for that bunch of palms and mangroves. Maybe we can get a hiding place there before he comes back. Hey, that last one hit from the other side of the tunnel. Now they're after Petra. Stay safe, Half-Pint. As I drop a beetle up in the shadows of a clump of Spanish daggers, I see the great flying fish zooming in a wide bank out over the ocean. Then I see the reason. Old Hardhead's fishes neck had closed in almost to the coast in answer to my signal with the crystal. If that plane bombs a smack, that means all Hardhead goes. Maybe better, too. They won't stop until they get that document or destroy it. My stomach lurches as I watch a seaplane dive at the smack. And it's swift and sure for the squatty little boat. back in a moment with the conclusion of Blood Has Sticky Fingers, tonight's exciting tale of espionage on Pulpourri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Insomnia Theater. And now, Instant Oatmeal with all the flavor and texture of homemade brings you, as a special feature of Potpourri Theater, the soundtrack to the 1962 college football flop For the Love of Pigskin, starring Clyde Lively, Donald Northland, Brick Benson, and Belle Legshosey. Directed by Alfred Hitchpost and released by Repellent Pictures. All right, men, gather around here in the locker room and listen up. This is the big game, men. It's the one we've all been fighting for. It's us against Red State, you. And I only have one thing to say to all of you big, lovable lugs. Just do your best. Yeah. Coach! You tell him, Coach! Yeah. 
Gee, Marsha, I sure am excited to be selected to quarterback the big game against Red State U. And as the captain of the cheerleading squad, Martin, I'll be right there on the sidelines boosting your spirits with my rah-rah-rahs. Gee, Marsha, that's swell. And after our big victory this afternoon, when they give me the winning football, I'll give you my class ring to wear on a chain around your neck. And I'll wear it proudly, Merton. Now go out there and fight, fight, fight! Hi, Merton. Well, I know I'm just the water boy because I'm all scrawny and sickly, but I've got as much team spirit as anybody. And I hate those Red State you guys, because they always pull my underpants way up high and make things uncomfortable for me. So I just want to say, Merton, good luck and good game. Thanks, Merton. Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. That means a lot. Could you tie my left cleat? I have so much protective gear on that I can't bend over that far. Just a reminder, you're listening to the soundtrack of Repellent Pictures' film, For the Love of Pigskin. And here's the final thrilling moment of that fiasco. Oh, Merton, your left cleat came untied on the field, and it caused you to lose the game. I know you're in a coma and can't hear me. But I'm so ashamed of you for losing that I'm eloping with Jimmy, the water boy. You have been listening to the soundtrack of the Repellent Pictures football film For the Love of Pigskin from 1962. Brought to you by Instant Oatmeal with all the flavor and texture of homemade. And now let's go back to our regularly scheduled program. Blood Has Sticky Fingers by John Bard. When we left off, Sangre Brown was watching the seaplane dive on the little fishing boat that was, in reality, the floating spy headquarters of his boss, fondly known as Old Hardhead. It sounded to us as if perhaps the plane got shot down. But why don't we let Sangre take up the story? That's what happened, Chief. Obviously, you know the rest. If it hadn't been for your foresight in mounting an ACAC gun on this here efficient smack, both you and Petra be goners. And probably me, too, eventually. That guy couldn't keep on missing me. Mm-hmm. And did you see what became of the messenger? 
Well, Chief, you know I did. But I sure am sorry for it. I don't like to see anybody go that way. Are you sure you want to hear about it? Perhaps the young lady should leave the cabin. Oh, no. I have been through a lot tonight, so do not think I'm not tough enough to handle hearing how a man died, Sangre. Okay, Half-Pint. But don't say I didn't warn you. It's like this. After the chief shoots down the seaplane with the anti-aircraft gun, it goes into the water with such a wash that it nearly swamps the boat here. I reach down and pat Pepito on the neck and whisper, Three rounds and cheers for the boss, old boy. He always thinks of everything. Now at that instant, I see a slender figure in a gray suit and dark felt hat walking across the sand toward the ocean. I look back in the direction in which he came and see the long-nosed car that had come out of the tunnel. Its lights are out and it looks bleak and desolate. I look back and realize that this was a messenger. I had taken it for granted he'd been on the plane. What did you do, cariño? Well, at first I was pretty shocked to see the little fella. And then things happened so quickly that I didn't have time to react. The guy falls to his knees on the sand and throws his hands up into the air in supplication. His entire posture says, I beg forgiveness for my failure. He takes off his coat and spreads it out on the sand. Then he unbuttons his shirt. As if by magic, there appears in his hand a long, slender blade of steel. The blade blinks once in the moonlight. Then it is buried to the hilt in the man's belly. No, no, Alto, Alto, tell me no more. Is this what you call being tough, kitten? You ask for it, and you'll sit there and listen to the rest. I... Number 57. Yes, Chief. I think I can imagine the rest. Harakiri? Yes, Chief. Yes, another oriental sinner saved from disgrace. Well, nice work, 57. Are you going back ashore? Yes, sir. I owe a sweet little lady a hot dinner and a night of dancing. Petra? Si, cariño? You live around here, don't you? Can you recommend any nice places to take a girl? ¿Qué? What? Why, are you pinche viejo cabrón! Pinche burro! Pinche perro! Ay! You have been listening to Blood Has Sticky Fingers, the 11th program of the Pulpourri Theater Series, starring the Narada Radio Company. Featured in the cast, in order of appearance, were Andreas Elizondo II as Sangre Brown, Debbie Leal as Petra, Juan Perez as The Messenger, and Bob Erickson as Old Hardhead. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. Blood Has Sticky Fingers was originally published as a short story by John Bard and appeared in the September 1936 issue of Spicy Adventure Stories magazine. It was adapted by Pete Lutz, who also directed and produced this program. Tune in again next time for another thrilling episode of Pulpourri Theater. Additional vocal characterizations by Nick Womack as Bix Bixby. Austin Hanna as the deputy in the book review, Larry Hutchison as the dog food tester and the Insomnia Theater football coach, Lisa McGrew as the cheerleader, Kean Lutz as Jimmy, and Phil Boyd Studge as himself. Tune in again next time when we'll bring you our season one finale, a war story called Convince Me I Said.
The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain. The audio play itself was an original work and is the property of its creator. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at the Corpus Christi, Texas studios of 63 Audio. This is Pete Lutz reminding you that Potpourri Theater is your new source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio production. Another excellent episode from Narada Radio's Paul Perry Theater. We aim to please. Now, you'd better stand back. Stand back? The Shadow Face Circuit will recall me back to Pulp Citadel. It's a failsafe built into the system. But how am I gonna... Look! What's that? Out of the portal, but this is your audio space, don't you... It looks like a U-shaped craft of some sort. It's a huge bamboo tube attached to a ship. Look behind it. Weapon of some sort? They must have used our dry docks to build it. That's... That's... That's some kind of YouTube weapon. Farewell, fellow volunteer. I'll get to the bottom of this. We will meet again. He's gone. The YouTube vessel is coming next to the tortoise. What does this mean? What does this mean? The Sonic Society Season 10 is written and produced by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music provided by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society through Creative Commons licensing. The Sonic Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Tonight's special guest is Pete Lutz from the Rada Radio Theatre Company and Pulpery Theatre. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.